Hey guys, Eric Lindine here. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Good to see you all and everyone who is watching us online. Glad to see you here. And uh, my name is Eric. Get to be one of the pastors here and just I'm so grateful I get to shepherd and lead and be with you all this morning. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word as we continue our series on the book of James. James 2 verse 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are our living hope, that even when things seem dark or uncertain, God, you are not uncertain, and you still have the whole world in your hands. And so we just ask God right now that we could just feel your peace. We'd allow your spirit to come in and convict and encourage and inspire us. As we dive into your word, God, that these would be your words. Thank you, God, for the gift of community and worship and your word. In your name we pray. Amen. You can take a seat. I will never forget helping coach along with Coach Jesse down here, my sixth grade son's Little League baseball team, as we got ready to coach in the rain for the championship game. This is the trophy from that game. Playing and coaching in Little League is a ton of fun because you got these kids and they're learning and there's all different kinds of experiences and backgrounds. And the job of us coaches is to come together and to learn each boy's kind of strength and weakness and to say, hey, there's no spectators here on the team. Everyone has to participate. And what's great at the Little League level is that they really require us to move boys around to every single position and to really mix up your pitchers. And so even your very best pitchers who have the best arms can only pitch so many innings uh, per game throughout the whole season and including in the tournament. So it really required us to get to know all the kids, to try to fit them in their best spots, but also to say, hey, sometimes you're going to have to play in the outfield even though you don't like it. Sometimes we're going to ask you to play catcher or even to step into a game and be one of our pitchers, even though that maybe not is your exact right place where you love to be. We're going to do our best job to try to fit you in where you're most gifted. But sometimes, too, we just got to get things done and be a team. And so we had a fabulous season uh, going on. We should have been the number one seed, but there was a little shenanigans going on, and they seeded the tournament before the season ended. So we were the second seed, even though we should have been the first seed. It's all right. I'm not bitter at all about it. Uh, so we went into the tournament. But the thing was, a lot of the teams they threw their best at us. And so early on, we had to throw in some of our better pitchers that we we're hoping to save. And so by the time we got to the championship game, we'd actually used up the innings for our two best pitchers. So there we are, championship game. It's raining, but they say the show must go on, and so we have to play. We're getting ready for our umpire to show up. 
the league forgets to have an umpire. <laughs> and so they grab an older brother of one of the kids on the other team who then umps. I'm not bitter about that at all. And so we go into the game, and we did our best. The reality is we had used up some of our best pitchers, and our boys did their best, and we came up just a little short, and we ended up getting second place but I'm so happy and so thrilled for our boys for this second place tournament. But you know what? I'm never going to forget that, of how our coaching staff came together. And we utilized our own strengths and gifts. I'm not that great as a coach. So all I did was like, go boys, you can do this. And some of the other guys were great at the skills stuff. And I was like, you teach them the drill and I can help run it. And then our boys, we had a couple boys on our team who had never played baseball before. But through the season, watching them grow and, 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 and get so much better. We had one boy who had a killer of an arm, but he could be a little wild. But the coaches kind of learned how to bring him back. And he, he developed so much that some of the other coaching staff actually were convinced we were cheating and had brought in a ringer. We're like, no, 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 this, he's just a little kid. He just happened to get really good. But I think... What a great metaphor for the church. A couple weeks ago, I talked about how uh, Joshua's uh, production of Oliver and, and how amazing it was to see all those actors coming together. And if one of those actors had tried to make it all about them, the show doesn't work. But that we are all players on a stage together. Jesus is the main character. We come on, support him. But I think a baseball team is another great example of what God calls us to be his church. So we are all on the team together. And see, Jesus invites us onto the team and says, hey, I want you to be on my team. It doesn't matter your experience. Maybe you've never been to church. Maybe this is all brand new to you. Hey, that's okay. I want you in the game. You have a part to play. I think that is such a beautiful thing. Because I think about it, that if a good friend of mine maybe told me, hey, you got to come to mosque with me, like that'd be such an uncertain thing. I wouldn't know anything about that. And I'd show up. As far as I know, in that experience, you would still let the professionals do everything. Same with a Buddhist temple or other places. But see, the church, the church is beautiful. Because it shouldn't be the professionals doing everything. Our job as pastors is to equip you, the saints, all of you are saints, for the work of the ministry. Our job is to be the coaches, to help put you in the game, to help put you in a position to do what Jesus called you to do. And sometimes that's to stretch you. Sometimes it's to figure out where are you gifted and talented. Sometimes it's to say, hey, we got to get this done. we got to put you in right field for this inning. You know, it may not be the thing you love the most, but we all get to be on the team together. But here's the thing. You can't just sit around and just talk about it and be on the team. You have to actually get in the game. See, if boys just wanted to sit on the bench and just goof off and never get in the game, they wouldn't be on the team anymore. They have to be willing to get in the game. We had one, one of our boys who got hit by a pitch and, and, and he'd been through some stuff and, and, and he went through a little time where he didn't want to get back in the game. But it took a lot of love and coaching and just understanding to say, hey, hey, it's going to be okay. Just, it's all right. You know, um, you're not going to get hit by the ball again. And if you do, like you get to go on first base, it's all good. But to help him get back in the game because he'd been hurt. And what he wanted to do is just stay out of the game. Some of you have been hurt. And so your response is, hey, I don't want to get back in the game. But Jesus, in love and tenderness, says, hey, I need you to get back in there. Because doing makes the difference. Not just sitting around talking about it. Not just sitting around theorizing about baseball. But actually doing makes the difference. And that is what we're going to be talking about today. 
See, with my wife, if she asked me to take out the trash or the recycling or whatever it might be, and I'm like, sure, I'll do that, honey, but I don't actually do it, does that make any difference? Is, she, is her heart strangely warmed because I wanted to do it? I had good intentions to do it? Or I theorized about the best way to take out the trash? No. Doing makes the difference. All the wives said amen. That is true in any relationship. Hey, I'll text you about that later. And you never do. Hey, let's grab lunch sometime. Let's grab coffee. But you never set up that appointment. If someone says, hey, let's grab lunch sometime, and they don't actually pull out their phone and like, look at their calendar, just so you know, they have no intention of actually falling through with that. Like, just, just, that's a little secret in life. So actually, if you want to get together, someone pull out your phone right then. We all have our calendars with us and actually schedule it because doing makes a difference. Amen? Let's, let's, let's re- read that again. Uh, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, maybe you grew up in the church, and you're saying, hold up, Eric. Isn't the whole point of the Protestant Reformation, sola fide, that it's by faith alone, not works, that we are saved? Isn't this why Martin Luther you know, nailed the 95 thesis onto the, the, the door in Wittenberg, Germany, that it's not about all these works and stuff to be saved. I thought this was the, the marker of the Reformation, by faith alone that we are saved. Is, isn't that what Paul says again and again? What is James doing here? Well, Martin Luther himself wrestled with this. He's like, I don't know about James, because Paul's saying it's by faith alone, and James is talking about works, and so sometimes people have tried to set these apart. But what we're going to see is that actually James and Paul are not in contention with each other. They actually work hand in hand. In fact, here's what Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. He says, For it is by grace, God's reward at Christ's expense, and unmerited favor, something given to us, by grace you have been saved through faith. We've been saved by grace through faith. Yes. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's a free gift that God gives to us. His grace we accept by faith, not by works, Paul says. We are saved by faith, by God's grace, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's all God. So we can't say, hey, I'm saved because look at my good deeds. We all say, hey, we are not able to save ourselves. We have to surrender to Jesus, give our lives to him. But Paul goes on to say, for we are God's handiwork. We are his workmanship. We are his mosaic created in Christ Jesus. Why? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Paul's saying we are saved by faith. Why? To do good works. There's really no contradiction between James and Paul regarding faith. See, actually, Paul's teaching about faith and works focuses on the time before conversion. And James focuses after conversion. You can write that down. This will help you out. Paul's talking about how must we be saved before that moment of conversion. Each and every one of us We are born separated from God. And now God gives us the choice. Do you want to stay on the throne of your life and be in charge of how you run your life? Or do you want to submit yourself to God and bow the knee to him? And that's a choice each and every one of us has to make at some point in our lives. 
Now, here's what I really, truly don't get. I, I had some friends this week, a pastor friend, and they were kind of arguing for universalism and that everyone ends up in heaven, so it doesn't really matter. There are no sheep and there are no goats. We're all just sheep. See, here's what I don't understand about that, is that to believe that, that we all end up in heaven, two things you have, you have to understand. Number one, what's the point of earth? That if, 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 if we all end up in the same place, then heaven is just like earth, and that doesn't sound like heaven to me. Number two, then you have to believe otherwise that if, if heaven is going to be perfect without any sin and no one hurting each other, that then people who want nothing to do with God, God is going to break them to his will and, and bend everything to him. Here's a little side note about that. Some of us in the Midwest, we love Florida, right? Going down, it's warm weather and, and the beach. I love Disney World, crowds, all that stuff, the energy of it. Now, I have a pastor friend. First time he went to Orlando, He's from Portland. He's in his skinny black jeans, and he's walking, you know, from his hotel to the conference, and it's like squish, 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 because his legs are so tight, and the jeans and everything, and it's so humid, and there's all these people and crowds, and he can't find a single-source coffee house for hundreds of miles from Orlando, and he's like, what is this place? This is hell to me. I do not want to go in Florida. And he said, you know, some of you save up all your money to go to Florida once a year, and to you, that's heaven, but to me, it's hell. Here's the reality. Some of us, we want to spend an eternity with God on the throne and say, hey, we submit our lives to you, Jesus. But for others, that would be hell to them. They want nothing to do with God. They do not want to bow the knee to Jesus. They don't want to spend eternity with him. So God says, that's okay. You do not have to spend an eternity with me. See, everyone gets that choice. Do you want an eternity with God in heaven, bowing the knee to him? Or do you want to say, hey, God, I want nothing to do with you? That's our choice. By God's grace, it means, hey, we all get that free will. By faith, are you going to put faith in yourself? Or are you going to put faith in Jesus? So we have this moment of deciding, do we cross that line of faith? Now, there is nothing that you do to earn that. None of us are good enough that on our own can have enough good deeds that God says, hey, that guy Brian, he gets to go into heaven because he is an awesome guy. See, we all fall short. None of us measure up to that perfect standard. But God, by his grace, he says, hey, if you put your faith and trust in me, you can cross that line of faith and say, now I'm putting my trust in you, Jesus, not in myself. I bow my knee to you. I think that you are my creator, and so you know how I'm supposed to live, so I'm going to bow my knee to your will. I look at the life of Jesus, how he loved everyone. He, he honored women and children and everyone around him. People flocked to be around him. That he, he, he was so full of love and, and life. The only way he could die was by borrowing our sin upon himself. That's how he could die, because he was so full of life and joy. And to say, hey, I want to be like that guy. And so each of us have the choice to say, yes, I want to put my faith in him. I'm going to cross that line of faith, not because of any works. But now that we've crossed the line of faith, we're in the game. We're on the team. What do we do? Do we just rejoice in that and do nothing? I don't think that is what Jesus wants for us. See, Paul says works can't bring us to Christ. But James says that after we come to Christ, they are imperative. We have to do these things. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Here's how Paul says it in Galatians. He says the only thing that counts, this is after conversion, is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is that you show your faith by expressing itself, by doing things through love. This is Paul. Here's how the Apostle John writes it in 1 John 3, 17 through 18. 
If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech only, but with actions and in truth. True faith requires compassion to see others. What is compassion? Compassion is faith in action. It's doing that makes the difference. Compassion is faith in action. Sympathy is simply seeing someone who is hurting, who is hungry, who needs clothing and to say, I feel bad for you. But see, sympathy isn't enough. It's a, it's a good start. But compassion is when we step into action, our faith in action. That is what compassion is. And doing is what makes the difference. See, if we tend to just talk about our faith in Christ but actually do very little, we may be in spiritual trouble. If we refuse to get our hands dirty or if we are cheap and grudging with other people, we must take inventory of our souls. We have a discipleship thing tool here called the Green Book. We walk through about 15 weeks face-to-face just helping people grow closer to Jesus. And in the Green Book, we talk a lot about do your lives reflect that you put your faith and trust in Jesus? And so we'll talk about that, that if all of a sudden tomorrow Christianity was outlawed and illegal and the government went through your bank statement and the government opened up your calendar, could they prove and put you away that you are a follower of Jesus? It's something to consider. Now, for most of us, probably the answer is like, I don't know, probably not. That's not meant to fill you with shame and and to grovel in that, but to say, hey, you know what? I can probably grow. I can't do this on my own. That's going to point me to Jesus. Holy Spirit, help me to let my life reflect more that I'm actually a follower of Jesus. Let my bank account reflect this. Let my calendar, how I spend my time, reflect this. Let what I actually do, not just what I say I believe, reflect that I am a follower of Jesus. Here's how doing makes the difference. Here's how Jesus says it. He says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers, Matthew 7. Now that hits hard. Jesus says doing makes the difference to show that you actually have fruit. I think it's good to examine our hearts and say, could people around me see love? Can people around me see joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control? Or do they see contention, impatience, that I have to get my own way, gossip. What is the fruit in our lives? See, I think faith and works are like the wings of a bird. 
There can be no life, no flight with just one wing. You can't have just faith and no works and soar the way God intends you to soar. You can't have just works and do it on your own strength with no faith in Jesus and soar the way God wants you to. But faith and works, they work together like two wings on a bird lifting you up into flight. Both are necessary. Here's how James says it in verse 18. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. James is saying that some of us actually, that demons have better theology than some of us. <laughs> that they believe in one true God, but it does them no good. James says they literally shudder. That means they bristle up like a frightened cat. I like that, that mental picture. Like a cat with its, its hair, and that's how the demons are. They believe in God. They believe in one true God. But well, that's not enough. They've not bowed their knee to Jesus to follow him. So just knowing good theology is not enough. Just believing in God is not enough. James says even the demons believe. Real faith is more than just mental assent to truth. It's more than just saying, I believe that Jesus lived once, that he died on the cross for me. If that's as far as your relationship with Jesus goes, you are not walking with Jesus. Jesus never said, believe in me. Jesus said, come follow me. Because doing is what makes the difference. Here's how R. Kent Hughes, a, a theologian, writes it in one of the commentaries. says, in the lives of many churchgoers today, there is a yawning chasm between profession and action, between professed faith and works, and that chasm gives the lie to people's loud claims to real faith. Do we truly follow Jesus or do we just talk about it? Doing is what makes the difference. Here's what James goes on to say. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active among, along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And that scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. James here is looking at back at the book of Genesis and Exodus, and he's pointing to the patriarch and the prostitute. And he's saying, here are two examples. You have the patriarch, Abraham. The book of Hebrews says it was counted to him as righteousness that he had faith. But when God asked him to do the most horrible thing possible, hey, sacrifice your son. I preached on this a number of years ago. You can probably find the podcast online somewhere. But really, ultimately, God asked him to do that. That the horribleness of our sin is only equaled by the horribleness of the sacrifice needed to accomplish that. But by faith, Abraham believed that even if I sacrifice my son in this one-time instance, God can raise him from the dead. And by faith, Abraham was willing to do that, but God stopped him and provided a different sacrifice. And by faith, of, by him actually stepping into action, 
it showed that he was saved and that he had faith. And then Rahab, the exact opposite. Abraham, the original Jew. Rahab, the prostitute. She was a Gentile. She lived in the red light district. Abraham was wealthy. Rahab was not. But what, what happened? She lived in the walls of Jericho. The spies came in. She had heard about this God who had dried up the Red Sea, this God who was bringing his people into the promised land. She said, you know what? I'm going to set aside all my foreign gods and I'm going to put my trust in the God of the Israelites. And by faith, she hid them. And by faith, she was saved. She marries into the family. And who's her, who's her son? Boaz. We talk about that. Boaz marries Ruth. Who's their great-grandson? King David. Oh, so cool. I love it. Jesus comes from both the patriarch and the prostitute. And oh, what a beautiful thing. But real faith results in works. See, doing is what makes the difference. And see, the root is revealed by the fruit. What are you rooted down into? Is your roots down deep into the soil of your own life? Are the roots down deep into Fox News or CNN or MSN or your bank account or whatever it might be? Or are your roots, as Paul says in Colossians, down deep into the soil of Christ? Like Psalm 1 says, like like a tree planted by streams of water whose leaves do not wither. What are you rooted in? What is your faith in? that will reveal the fruit of your life. And the fruit that we want is doing what God calls us to do, to step into faith, to live out this mission that God has called us to do. For those of us that have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Jesus is asking you to get out of the stands and get into the game. Football is a good metaphor also for the church. (laughs) Football is, you know, 22 people on the field giving their all desperate for rest while the majority of people are in the stands who could probably use a little bit of good exercise or watching them judging their performance. If you've been coming to Mosaic for a while, it's time to get out of the stands and get into the game. It's better to be playing on a championship game than just simply looking on. Do you have a cause that you believe in? I think this applies to women, but especially to men, that men without a cause, eventually face a crisis. We need men, something bigger than ourselves, to believe in. We need to invest in believing in the next generation, in believing that there are lost and dying people going to hell because they don't know the goodness and the grace of Jesus. They don't know that they can receive forgiveness for all the ways they've messed up and that Jesus welcomes them with open arms. What is your cause What gets you out of bed? See, no devil in hell will be able to get you to quit if you have a cause in your heart. A cause will get you to stay up late, will get you to wake up early. How can we sit around in complacency if we actually have a cause? And there is no cause, I believe, greater than Christ. Do you have a cause? My cause is Christ, and his cause is the church. That is the one thing he died for. And here at Mosaic, we are not a club. We are a community with a cause, amen? The church is the one organization that exists for those people who are not yet members. We exist to help you love God more, to get filled up with him so that 
You can go serve others. And then you can disciple. See, me and Ryan and Josh, we don't want to be the primary disciple makers. We want you to be disciple makers. We want you to disciple your spouse and your kids and your neighbors and your friends and sit aside and say, hey, how can we know Jesus better? How can we together be more like Jesus? How can we learn what Jesus did so that we can do what Jesus did? We have people who, on a regular basis, are back there volunteering in our kids' ministry. Why do they do that? Because they value the cause of Christ. They value those kids. They value being able to let those of us with parents sit in here to worship, to open our Bibles so we can advance the cause of Christ. Why does the band get here at 7.30 a.m. to set up, to play skillfully, for our sound team to volunteer their time, to be back there, to set up this equipment so that we can be together because they believe in the cause of Christ, that we are not just a club. We're saying, no, we want to grow together to invite others to follow Jesus because we believe there are real stakes at work. We believe there are people here in our city, around us in Osseo and Maple Grove and Brooklyn Park and Champlin and Rogers and Dayton who are struggling with anxiety that's crippling them, with depression, with feeling alone, with feeling like they have no passion, they have no purpose, they have no community, and saying, hey, we have a cause, we have a community, we want to invite you into this. And, and we're not going to be perfect in this, but we're going to continue learning and growing together. So what is your next step? Do you have a cause? Or have you been hurt a little bit and you've just been sitting on the sidelines? The last two years has been so hard for so many people. And more and more as I've been gathering with pastors and talking and, and seeing this again and again, just talking about how many people we've seen just check out. And to say, you know what, I'm going to go to another church that's just easier to sit on the back row because they're not going to ask me to do anything. That is not the way of Jesus, to just sit and do nothing. Because doing makes the difference. Now, sometimes we get hurt, and just like any good battleship, they have an infirmary. you got to get patched up. But after you're patched up, you get back in the game. You get back sent to the front lines. So maybe you've been hurt, but maybe it's time to get back in the game. What's your next step today? Number one, and these are kind of in order, what I want you to do, commit to a weekly community group. We talk about it here. Hey, rows are good. Rows aren't bad. But your row doesn't know when you're struggling. Your row doesn't know when you've barely been able to make it out of bed. Your row doesn't know that you're so lonely that you cry yourself to sleep. But hopefully, we want to get you in a circle so that people can know. This is good. It's good to gather together as a community, to lift up the name of Jesus, to open God's word together. There's something that happens when God's spirit is manifest among his people. But also we need those circles, whether in person or online. We have four community groups. If you're not in one of them, please, please, really consider rearranging your schedule. Do something to try to be in one of those groups. If none of them works, we'll help you start a new one. Tuesday nights, Matt, our worship leader, and Lauren at their home. Wednesday nights, in our home. Thursday nights, Amber, our children's director, in her home. And then the Stapletons lead an online group on Zoom on Thursday nights. 
You can stay home in your pajamas, log on. I don't think they mind if you're in your pajamas. But we want you to be in a circle. We want you to have people who are asking, how are you doing? We need to commit. Here's the other thing. A weekly community group. Some of you have signed up for a group, and your attendance is pretty bad. Just saying. Jesus is not happy with you. All right? Maybe that's just me. <laughs> weekly. It's got to be a weekly rhythm. I mean, come on. Like, do you brush your teeth like only once a, once a week or once a month? No, 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 no. You got to make it a regular occurrence. You got to make it a regular thing. Weekly community group. Number two, join a ministry team and serve weekly. You know, I was just talking to some other pastors, and, and, and we've all admitted, you know what? We've made things too easy to say, hey, you can just serve once every six weeks. Eh, what a low bar. Man, I'm sorry for not believing in you enough. We need people to say, hey, you know what? I can put a smile on my face. I'm going to greet every single Sunday. It's beautiful out there. I don't really miss missing worship. It's okay. Here's the thing. You're a greeter out there. You are going to be the biggest factor whether someone comes to visit our church and decides to come back. The reality is, People decide in the first eight minutes if they're going to come back to a church. Long before they ever see me or hear me or teach or anything, they've decided whether they're coming back to this church or not. And a lot of that is due to the greeters outside and people in the lobby. That is huge and essential. You staying outside, smiling, holding door for a person, could decide whether they're going to, where they're going to spend their eternity. It's true. People back there in kids' ministry to say, hey, I'm going to serve on a regular basis back in kids' ministry. Hey, I'm going to serve on the setup team every week because you know what? It's not a big deal for me to get here at 8.30 in the morning. It's fine. I'm up early anyways. I'm going to come here. You know what? I'm going to stick around after church for 30 minutes every week and just help pack up. We need some teams where people are side by side. Hey, every week we're on pack up together. Yay, this is great. We're doing this every single week. I think we can all raise the bar to the next standard. I've been calling you guys to too, way too low of a bar, I think. Do the green book. We've talked about this a little bit. We've got a few people. Aaron, the first one to finish the green book. He's going to be doing it soon with someone else, right? Right, right? Yeah, yeah. And a few of you are also close to getting finished. It's the discipleship tool, face-to-face, to say, hey, let me help you grow in Jesus. It's a great tool. If you've not done it, talk to me. I'd like to help you get through the green book. It's a great tool of discipleship, knowing Jesus. Number four, commit to daily Bible reading and journaling. I know, I know, I know. Some of you don't like this. I implore you, please, please, please make this a daily rhythm and habit. Whether it's in the morning, at your lunch hour, at dinner, I truly believe it is the, the number one way we grow in Christ. Is every day. And you know what? Every day it's not going to be great. Some days for me, I read a few verses and I'm like, Jesus, I got nothing today. Shut my journal. Some days it's pages and pages and pages. But it's that daily Habit, that daily rhythm. It's like having a good relationship. You have to actually talk. You have to turn off the TV. You have to date your spouse. You have to hang out with your friends and do things, not just text with them. Like you have to actually do things. Doing makes the difference. And I promise you, if you commit to on a regular basis, just opening God's word journaling, God will begin to do things in your heart and mind. It's not a religious thing. It's not just checking something off. It's just saying, hey, this is a way for me to daily connect with my creator, to let him speak to me, to talk back to him with my journal. I know some of you don't like writing. Then do it on your iPad or your computer and type up your notes. 
Really, truly try it. Try it for a whole year. And then come back and say, hey, I tried this for 365 days. It didn't work for me. Okay, let's have that conversation. But really, truly try this thing. Doing makes the difference. Number five, commit to learning the names of all your neighbors and looking for ways to have gospel conversations with them. Here's something you can do if you really want to challenge yourself. Draw a box, put your house in there. And then draw boxes with all the houses behind you and next to you, in front of you. Can you fill in the names of all the people who live maybe in those six houses around your house, your apartment, your townhome, whatever? If you can't, just get to know them. Hey, we've been been neighbors for five years. This is awkward. What's your name? Hey, if Jesus hung on the cross for us, we can knock on our neighbor's door and introduce ourselves, right? I mean, come on, right? Let's learn our neighbors. Let's look for ways to have gospel conversations. Who knows? Maybe your neighbor is a follower of Jesus and they love Jesus. They go to another church and you don't even know it. But like, let's, let's get to know our neighbors because Jesus called us to go make disciples. And we, how do we do that? What, what if God... Calling us to love our neighbors means our literal neighbors that live next to us. We're going to talk more about that this summer. The art of neighboring. How do we actually get to know our neighbors? Now, all these things, I know you can push back on them, but hey, doing makes the difference. Let's stop just talking about things and actually do some things. Amen? All right, let's pray. I'm going to invite the band to come on up. God, thank you that you did the hardest thing by coming down to earth, by clothing yourself in flesh, by living a sinless life, by experiencing betrayal and hurt and hunger and brokenness so that you are not unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but you understand what we go through. And then you went to the cross, taking all our sin and shame upon yourself and paying the price we could not pay so that by faith, through grace, we can be accepted into your family and, and all our slates be wiped clean and receive the resume, the righteousness of Christ. But now, God, I pray for those of us who have crossed that line of faith that we would step out to do the works that you have created us to do. God, that we would commit to a community group, that we would recommit to make it a priority. God, that we would join a serving team. God, that we would make time on a regular basis to be in your word, to journal, that we would learn the names of our neighbors. God, that we'd take that next step and and have discipleship for 15 weeks in the green book. And then when we're done, to lead someone else through that. God, there's so much you want for us and so many of us, we've just dipped our toe in the water. We've just stayed on the bench, but you're calling us into the game. You're calling us into deeper things. And so I pray, God, that we'd step out in faith, that we would go into the deep things because that is where true life and depth and the coolness of the water is. Let us not stay in the shallow areas, God, but bring us into your depths. Stretch us, God. Allow us to have gospel conversations with our neighbors and our friends to share how you've changed our lives. God, as a church, help us to just grow in community and and discipleship and worship. To go all in. And even if we fail, even if we get second place instead of first, 
God, that we would know that we tried. We gave it our all. Thank you, God, that we don't have to work trying to earn something from you, that we are forgiven and saved, but, but God, now, out of the overflow of love and acceptance, help us to, to be you, to be Jesus to the world around us, to be your hands and feet. God, ignite our hearts. Those of us who have, who have been tired, maybe who have just withdrawn over the last two years and, and we've let hope die, God, I pray that you would reignite hope. You would reignite faith. God, that your spirit would be alive and moving in us. Be with us now, God. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Maple Grove podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic Maple Grove. Your generosity allows this message to go out into the world. You can be a part of the Mosaic Tribe by going to mymosaicchurch.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Grace and peace, my friends.